Good morning. Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year as well. How dear to me is your dwelling, O Lord of hosts. Happy are they who dwell in your house. They will always be praising you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Uh, In one of his books, the Christian philosopher James K.A. Smith describes a young boy sitting through a church service. And the service is just dragging on and on. And the boy starts to use his bulletin, his order of service, as a checklist, checking off each item until it's finally over and he's finally free. And I relate to that kid so much. (laughs) If you grew up as a kid in church, um, you probably do too. In fact, some of you might be doing that right now. I don't know. I remember doing that, checking off the items in my bulletin, uh, the offertory. There was always a pastoral prayer at my church, which always seemed to take forever. The sermon, that's the big one. Uh, and they always seem to sing all the verses of the last hymn. But finally, they do the benediction, and you're free. And that's just kind of human, right, um, for a kid to feel that way. And maybe you still feel that way sometimes. <laughs> I, I do. Um, but this boy who James K. A. Smith describes, counting down the minutes in his, his bulletin, checking everything off, he grows up, and he has a child of his own. And he takes his kid to church, and he sees his kid fidgeting and impatient, just like he had been when he was little. But he himself sees it differently now. He's grown up, not just literally, but he's grown up in the faith. Uh, He's matured. His understanding of the church service has been enlarged. He sees now that church is the place where Jesus is found. It's at church that we receive Christ himself. In the sacrament and in the public reading and proclamation of God's word. And church is the place where we worship him. As the prayer book puts it, It's where we give thanks for the great benefits we have received at his hands and declare his most worthy praise. And as we sing these familiar words and say these familiar prayers, the liturgy lifts us up into the eternal worship of heaven itself. And we join the angels themselves around the throne of God, who day and night never cease to sing the praises of the triune God. Of course, this bores our fleshly, easily distracted hearts and minds. But it's not that the church service is boring or too mundane or small. It's that it's too big. Our hearts and minds can't conceive it. We're preoccupied always with silly, inconsequential things. Our desires are all misguided and malformed. But the divine service is setting our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And as we grow up in Christ, we're able to see that church is the place where Jesus is found. We're able to understand more and more that this is the house of God.
That brings us to our gospel reading for today. It's the story of the boy Jesus in the temple. Jesus in his father's house. And customary to be read at this time of year. It's part of our Christmas season. It's the only story we have in the gospels of uh, Jesus between his kind of toddlerhood and his baptism, the beginning of his public ministry. That's a long time. Most of Jesus' life on earth. Uh, we all know almost nothing about it. The only story we have of the adolescent Jesus is this one. So I guess the gospel writers, inspired by the Spirit, didn't think we need to know very much about what happened uh, between his incarnation and the events around his birth and the beginning of his ministry, except for this story. So what is this story? Well, Mary and Joseph and Jesus go up from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. They're being good and devout Jews, which is important. Jesus is the ideal Israelite. And so Luke is making a point to show that he and his family were following the Jewish law and the customs, worshiping faithfully in the temple as they were supposed to do. We're told that they did this every year. And it was a real communal and joyful event. Evidently, there was a large group traveling together, family and friends. It was kind of the big outing of the year. But when the festival is over and it's time to go back, Jesus stays behind. But Jesus is a good kid. <laughs> he's a responsible guy. So Mary and Joseph have no reason to think that he's not somewhere with them, with the company. So they don't realize it at first. It's not until a day later that they start to look for him and they can't find him. Can't find him anywhere. So they go back to Jerusalem to look for him. And they still can't find him for three days. Three days. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, God himself has been born as a human baby. <laughs> you've been entrusted with raising him. <laughs> and you've lost him. <laughs> um, they finally, they find him in the temple courts, listening to the teachers of the law, asking them questions and amazing them with his understanding and his answers. And Mary is exasperated. She asks, why have you treated us like this? We've been looking for you everywhere. It's an understandable response and an appropriate one for any normal mother. <laughs> By the way, I've, I've usually heard this story um, and kind of assumed, maybe without realizing it, that Jesus was maybe just so wrapped up in being at the temple and talking to the teachers of the law that he didn't realize that his parents had already left. <laughs> maybe he just kind of spaced out and uh, didn't think they'd be that worried. But I, kind of reading this again for this sermon, I, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> Three days is a long time. And, you know, he is Jesus. <laughs> He's pretty aware of what's going on. But I also think that because of his answer to Mary, which is, I think, kind of the crux of this story. Why were you searching for me? He says. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, there's a few layers to this answer. First, he's saying, this 12-year-old boy is saying that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is his father. 
So not only is Luke, the gospel writer, making that point for us, but Jesus himself is apparently aware of it as a 12-year-old boy. And what must that have sounded like? Mary and Joseph already had some idea of who their son was, and yet to hear him say that must have been something else. But second, look at what that means. A lot of the interpreters of this story ask the question, was Jesus being disobedient to his parents here? Was he being inconsiderate of them? Certainly that's what Mary is implying when she says, why have you treated us like this? Like we said, it it seems plain that he had to know that they were looking for him. But Jesus' answer is fascinating. What he's saying is, you're upset that I've left my parents and gone off on my own, but I haven't left my parents. I'm actually in my father's house. I've been at home this whole time. This is where I belong. Before you, Mary and Joseph, were ever my parents, God was my father. And even more than our house back in Nazareth is our home, is my home, this is my true home. This is where I belong. And so he's actually kind of chiding them in a way. He's saying, it took you three days to find me? Looking maybe at this or that friend's house, going back to places we visited, asking everyone. You should have looked here first. You should have known exactly where I would be. Sometimes we look for Jesus too. We think we've lost him. Where could he be? We look in all the places we can think of, We run all over the city, asking everyone if they've seen him. Maybe we even start to get annoyed at him for being so hard to find. But where is he? He's where he belongs. He is in his father's house. He's been here all along. He is here. In the word of God, read and preached in the sacrament, he's always here. Jesus and the temple is a theme in the Gospels. He spent a lot of time there. When he was in Jerusalem, he would come to the temple courts, teach the people. And that itself is kind of a picture of uh, Jesus living out his role as God's son on earth, teaching the people in the courts of his father's house. And of course, too, we have the stories of Jesus cleansing the temple, which may have happened more than once. It's one of the few times we ever see Jesus get angry when he sees his father's house turned into a place of commerce, people taking advantage of the devout worshipers who had come. Jesus says, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer. And he drives them out. And when the disciples see it, they remember the verse that says, zeal for my father's house will consume me. In our psalm today, too, Psalm 84, Jesus is zealous for his father's house. It's a pilgrimage psalm written for the Israelites to sing as they went up to Jerusalem to worship. It's entirely possible that Mary and Joseph and Jesus could have sung this psalm as they went from Nazareth up to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's a psalm about the beauty of the temple, 
and the psalmist's intense desire to be there, to stay there, to live there. St. Augustine teaches us to read the psalms in Jesus' own voice as he leads his people in worship. And Jesus is, of course, the ultimate author of all the psalms in the Spirit. Certainly we can imagine the boy Jesus singing this psalm, an expression of his love for his father's house and his desire to stay there. This was the desire that kept him there after Mary and Joseph had left, had left town. As the psalm says, one day in your courts is better than a thousand in my own room. We sang that this morning. And the psalm says in verse 2, uh, or verse 1, my soul has a desire and longing to enter the courts of the Lord. We can imagine Jesus' excitement every year to go up to Jerusalem, to the temple courts, to go where he belonged. And that's the longing that we see in this psalm. But there's something else going on in this psalm, too. Uh, This psalm is generally understood to have come from the exiled Jewish community when they were captives in Babylon and Persia, cut off from their homeland and from the temple. And we can see that sense of longing in the psalm. This is expressing more than just the love of the temple uh, of Jews living in their own land. It's the longing of those who are cut off from the temple, who can't get back to it. The psalmist even envies a sparrow. In verse 2, a sparrow that has made her nest in the temple courts. Even if the temple itself is in ruins now, at least the sparrow gets to nest there. It's hard not to think of our own situation in this COVID tide, this season of COVID that we've been in for so long now. The Sundays we've had to watch church from home, and some of us, of course, still do. The weeks and the months we went without communion. Now, it's different than the Jews being in exile. I understand that. But there's a clear correlation here. As one priest friend of mine put it to his congregation, if you're missing church, I hope you really are missing church. Of course, I know there are some good reasons why some of us still need to stay away. But this psalm can help us see what a loss it is to be cut off from God's house. Let's not let the pandemic drive us away from the life of the church. Or let it be a cause for us to just kind of drift away. Instead, let's let this pandemic remind us of how badly we need to center our lives around the worship of this place. And if you can't be here, and I hope you are making use of the other ways we have to connect to the life of our church in this time, and there are good ways to do that. Well, we've said this is a pilgrimage psalm. In verse 5, that pilgrimage leads through the desolate valley. For this psalmist, maybe that desolate valley was uh, the exile itself. God had promised that his people would dwell in the land that he had given them, that they would worship him there without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of their life. But now the Jews found themselves far from their home, cut off from the temple courts, with little hope of ever getting back. 
or ever realizing God's promises to them. Sometimes our pilgrimage to the courts of our God does lead us through the desolate valley. Will God come good on his promises to us? We know that the church is made of imperfect and sinful people because we are imperfect and sinful ourselves. We know what a difficult and broken place the church is. So I've been talking about how wonderful the church is and how wonderful God's house is, and I believe that. I do love the church. But I also want to be careful because I know that for many people, church is hard. So many have been hurt by the church in various ways. Maybe you've known the church as a place of broken relationships or of harmful teaching or of trauma. Maybe it's still hard to come to church at all. That's the experience of so many people in our churches. Maybe what has cut you off from God's house hasn't been the Old Testament exile of the Jews or COVID-19 necessarily, but your own experiences in the church itself, the failure of those in the church to live up to its calling. But God is patient with us. He understands our pain. He will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. And he will judge his church rightly and bring justice to each person and to each situation. He will make it right. In the words of Nicholas Healy, the church is nothing if not full of unsatisfactory Christians. That's kind of the point. The church is a house of healing, and so it's full of the sick. But what we have to remember is, we are all sick too. It's not just the people we see around us. You are. I am. And that's why we're here, because here is the cure. The church is where we find Jesus. The church gives him to us. It's a hard time at Church of the Redeemer. And maybe it seems like a strange time for me to be talking about how wonderful the church is. (laughs) But when church is hard, and it is hard right now, there's all the more reason to remember why we're here in the first place. We don't come because the church is perfect or because we finally found the one, the good one, (laughs) the one with no problems. We come because we need Jesus. And this is where he is. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Sometimes, as I finish up here, sometimes our pilgrimage to the courts of God does lead us through the desolate valley. But that's not all this psalm says. Verse 5, those who go through the desolate valley will find it a place of springs. For the early rains have covered it with pools of water. They will climb from height to height, and the God of gods will reveal himself in Zion. Even in the valley, God is at work to refresh and restore. And from the valley, we will climb up to the heights. God will reveal himself to us. I believe that's true. In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.